Welcome to Millennium Live, a digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. We're happy to be joined by two renowned thought leaders on this episode. We welcome Dr. Mark Dupuy, Assistant Professor of Cybersecurity at the University of Washington in Bothell, and Dr. Karen Renault, Senior Lecturer, Computer and Information Sciences at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland. We hear all about how these academics began working together and the research they've conducted over the years, that instead of fear tactics, taking a human-centered approach could be a solution to the growing cybersecurity world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Millennium Live. My name is Katie Perry, and today on the podcast, I am joined with two wonderful researchers, Dr. Karen Renault and Dr. Mark Dupuy, who are here to share their findings in cybersecurity. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So I'm really interested and excited to hear about this current research that you're doing and what you have been talking about in many different places. I know you were featured in the New York, or I'm sorry, the Washington Post, and you've been on many podcasts. So before we jump in directly to your research, would you both mind just telling me and our listeners just a bit about your backgrounds? So I I started off as a software engineer and then discovered the cybersecurity field when it started to emerge around the turn of the millennium and became very interested in the human side of cybersecurity because I could already see that the technical uh, solutions weren't going to work on their own. And the world has come around to that way of thinking. And there's a lot, there's a whole horde of us now looking at the human side of cybersecurity and trying to understand how best to deal with the human in the loop and to make sure that they are part of the solution and not perceived to be part of the problem. So that that's me. I I have worked for a number of different universities, but I'm currently with the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow in beautiful Scotland. And for myself, when I, when I first started my uh, PhD studies, I just was sitting there one time trying to work on an assignment and I, I couldn't wrap my head around this assignment because I just didn't have the passion. And then I just started thinking about some experiences I had the six months prior where I was helping friends and family members that had issues on their computers. They had malware infections on their computers. And it really kind of led me to start thinking about why did perfectly reasonable, intelligent people, you know, have these problems? You know, why do those why do their computers get infected and so on? And, and so from there, I just really started to dive into looking at the uh, human factors of cybersecurity and privacy, looking at both uh, organizational setting, but also looking at home users as well. I'm currently with the University of Washington, Bothell in beautiful Bothell, Washington. Wonderful. So I'm curious, and I don't really mind who answers this question, but you both come from very different backgrounds. I know, Dr. Dupuy, you're in Washington, and Dr. Renault, you're in Scotland. So how did you come in contact with one another, and how did you start speaking? Uh, so so we, we were both at a conference in, in Hawaii, and uh, Mark had just given a talk, and I'd been listening to it, and I decided I wanted to work with him. So we had a chat, and that's where it, it started, and it's just continued since then. Because I'd felt for some time that we needed to pay more attention to the emotions people feel and how this could affect cybersecurity. And Mark's talk was about trait affect, if I remember correctly. I decided this was the person that I could work with most effectively in this area. That's wonderful. So I know you were both just recently featured in the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago, and we're going to link it for anyone who is listening and would like to read it. If you look at the description, we'll link it in there. But you discussed in the article these emotions that you just mentioned, Dr. Renault, and you mentioned the use of fear. And I just quickly read into it that companies constantly use fear with their employees to try to protect 
the company and their employees against cyber attacks. But you both have found that that doesn't work. So I'm going to point this right to Dr. Dupuy. Can you explain these findings and what you really did find? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is we often take for granted that, of course, fear is going to work, right? If you scare someone, of course, they're going to do it. You know, and fear has been used for thousands of years. You looked at any uh, religion or, you know, of course, within politics and elsewhere, fear has been used. And in some instances, maybe it has been effective to a certain extent. But what we found was that people in cybersecurity were taking it for granted that it works and are just assuming that it worked without really the evidence to fully support that it was actually working. And so what we started to tease out was that, you know, if if the end goal is just to scare someone hoping they will comply, it's not going to have the long-term benefits that people think it will have. Instead, it could start to build resentment between the employee and the employer. And you know, it, it doesn't mean that we don't provide employees or, or, or people in general with information on the risk or the threat. Of course we should, but it shouldn't be just to scare them. It should be to provide them with information. And then most importantly, we need to tell them what they can do about it, right? We need to empower them. So many times people just start with the fear and kind of end it there rather than trying to provide information on a threat and empower them on what they can do to try and counter that threat. So when you found this, that you're saying that you need to go further than fear, did you provide any examples of that or have any examples of how that has worked for companies? I think fear can possibly work in the short term. When if somebody's standing over you, threatening you, you're probably going to do what they want. But a lot of people are very afraid of being blamed for clicking on a link that uh, makes uh, ransomware get installed on their computer and the organization's computers. And they're really afraid of consequences because some organizations will fire you or shame you if that happens. But that doesn't mean that they're really committed to ensuring the cybersecurity of the organization. And what we really do need is to move from coercion to commitment. Because as, as Mark was saying, you, you get resentment with fear. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. We all have enough to fear right now. We don't need to be adding to that with cybersecurity fear. Right. So you just mentioned the pandemic. And obviously, 2020 was crazy. Do you think that the fear of cyber attacks played into why it's really not working? Or has this been something that has been going on the past couple of years into maybe even a decade? You know, I think it's been going on for a long time, the, the use of fear and the assumption that it works and it really not working. You know, I, I have two little kids and I, I think with my three-year-old or even my seven-year-old, if I try and just scare them into doing something, yeah, they might do it right then because they're scared, like Karen was saying, but are they going to do that long-term and are they going to do it for the right reasons? And are they going to have kind of that, that vested, we're in this together kind of thing, um, like Karen was mentioning. If, if they're doing it just for these extrinsic factors rather than this intrinsic motivation, it's not going to be sustaining and it's not going to be kind of done for the right reasons. And so, you know, the, the pandemic, I think it, it really highlighted how fear can play a role, uh, ineffective role, and, and how people are really just tired of it. People are tired of being scared or, or throwing all these, these things to, to scare people. So I, I want to say that it ties directly into what's been going on with cybersecurity, but I would say that it does highlight some of the limitations with fear. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously 2020 was crazy with the pandemic, but it was also a crazy year for cyber attacks. And at least it, it seems in my mind that so many made major news headlines. And so I'm curious, do either of you have any advice or some ideas on how to help 
companies for future attacks that go beyond fear? Take it one or two or three steps further. I think um, that companies need to realize that there are no shortcuts to cybersecurity. And by by that, I mean, when they're using fear, they're trying to just quickly solve their cybersecurity, the employee problem. So they're trying to constrain people and get them to just behave themselves. But what you really need, because as you see, the the criminals are coming up with new exploits all the time. And this kind of rule following mantra does not work when the threats change all the time. So we need to make our employees part of that security perimeter. You know, you don't want if the person using the fear is on the one side, employees are being having fear imposed on them on the other side, you create a we they situation. What you want is for everyone to be on the same side in the organization and the criminals to be on the other side. Mark was mentioning empowering. I think we don't really do enough of that. So you see organizations saying, you must use really strong passwords. You must never reuse them. You must uh, you must memorize them. But the human brain cannot do that. I mean, I've got so many passwords. I can't keep them all in my head. So if an organization wants strong passwords, then you give your, your, all your employees a password manager. So that is empowering. You take the problem, the reason for the weak passwords away instead of shouting at them about their weak passwords. So I don't know if you heard that SolarWinds was apparently caused by a password, SolarWinds123. Weak passwords are a huge issue, but people are doing it because they can't cope with your demands for strong passwords. So really the empowerment is the real key here. And also an acknowledgement that this is not, a, a, there's no short-term solutions. It's a long game and we all have to slowly upskill everyone. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, these hackers are getting smarter and wiser. And so as times are changing, they're not going away. They might even becoming more frequent or more popular almost. So kind of switching, I guess, subjects just a tad. I'm curious. So you found this research in the past couple of years and it's been in newspapers and you've been doing podcasts. Have you continued to work together? Do you have any new research coming or any new projects that are happening this year? All the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and we're still working on, on the fear stuff. We're analyzing data now from a, a large study that we conducted last year, looking at fear and other emotions too. So I think people, again, assume that fear is what is elicited, but we challenge that by trying to see, well, are other emotions uh, impacted as well when people are, are trying, to, trying to be scared? And, and most recently, we're, we're starting to also look at some other emotions like shame and guilt and trying to, you know, find the differences between them, how they may or may not be effective and, and really how they're different from one another uh, quite a bit as well. Wow. Well, I'm excited to see what comes out about that. And I know, like you said, you're constantly researching, so I'm sure there'll be some more information soon. So definitely share that with us and we'll have to chat again. But one last thing before I let the two of you go, I know Dr. Dupuy, you have joined us on site and you have led conversations with some executives and We also are hopefully going to have Dr. Renaud join us at some point as well. But I'm just curious, you're both professors and you're researchers in academia. So what do you find so important about bridging the gap between academia and industry? And what have you found to be useful and successful with that? You know, I I, I think one thing that is important to the both of us is we don't ever want to be divorced from what's happening out there in industry and and I guess we'll call the the real world, you know, and we, it's important for us to develop these partnerships with people in industry so we can kind of develop these win-win situations. And so, you know, if an organization is 
you know, curious about, is this going to be effective or will something else work better? Well, that might be something we're researching or looking into. There might be some great synergy there where we're allowed to work on some research uh, with, with you and your organization. And, you know, of course, we, we get the research out of it, but your organization also benefits from that research as well. With some of the people I've met at the on-site events and whatnot, we, we've done some of that. And it's been very effective and very, you know, it's been great and great win-win-wins all around. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. And hopefully we can have you on site in a couple months or virtually as well. That'd be great. That would be good. I, I, I would agree with that. When I have worked with people in industry, it just completely ratchets up what you can achieve because you're working in the real world and you've moved out of your ivory tower. And that's what we really want to do. Working with companies is, is really what we both enjoy doing a lot because you do learn about maybe the ideas we come up with are not that practical, but when you can do it in a company, then you tweak it and you make sure that it is practical. So yeah, absolutely. Very open to working with folks. And I would love to visit with you. Great. Well, thank you both so much for chatting and sharing your research findings. And like I said in the beginning, for anyone listening, we will make sure to link the article that was recently published and we will continue to share more of Dr. Dupuy and Dr. Renaud's research. Thank you both. Thanks for listening and be sure to check out our other episodes. You can listen on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Be sure to subscribe. And for more information, you can visit mill-all.com.